Just a second, my book just fell apart. I'm Sue. Sue. Very grateful member of the Al-Anon family group. In uh, thank you, Mary. Where'd she go? Oh, there you are. She split. I thank you for asking me to do this. This is the Godawana Friday night step study in Fullerton, California. We're on step four. Take a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. And step four comes right after step three because step three says, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. So we've had some time between step three to start trying to live a way of life that we think our God wants us to have. And we're getting a little bit closer to our God. And so we have faith in... uh, and at this point, we trust a sponsor, or we should be trusting a sponsor, or really working on trusting a sponsor, at least like our sponsor. <laughs> That's why we get newcomers to do the steps real quick. Because by the time they get their ninth step, they can make amends to their sponsor. So <laughs> the principle of step four, I believe, is moral. Now, where it says making a searching, what I've come to believe about that is that the find is in the search. Then where it says fearless, that we're taking this after the third step and our fears are diminished by this time. Not gone, but diminished. And so we're feeling a little bit more comfortable with ourselves. And step four in the Al Nan twelve and twelve is not that long, but it says of the twelve steps, seven are action parts of the Al Anon program. The process of our personal improvement began with step four in which we tackled the real spade work of getting to know ourselves as we really were. Maybe we'd been too preoccupied with thinking about what others were up to, especially the alcoholic, that we never realized how much our own actions needed examining. It's like if he uh, quit drinking, I'd be okay, or if she quit drinking, I'd be okay. If they would shape up, I would be okay. And we did that most of our lives. We don't know how to do this. And that's why we have a sponsor, and a sponsor takes us through that. In our fifth tradition, it talks about we take these, we adapted these steps from Alcoholics Anonymous. And so we work the steps in this program just like the steps in Alcoholics Anonymous. This says, it was inspiring to realize that we had the ability to become more confident, competent, and mature. What a word. 
That means like grow up. I was at a conference here a while back and this one gal was there and she's so cute and funny. And her sponsor made her get up, directed her, didn't make her. She told her to get up at the microphone and tell everybody how old she was. Because everybody thought she was like 28, 29, 32 years old. She's a 41-year-old woman that acts like a teenager. And her sponsor was really working on her maturing. And uh, she always pulls off the cutesy act. So her sponsor had her get up the microphone and tell everybody how old she was. That way the people in her home group wouldn't be treating her like one of the younger girls anymore. And she would have to become more responsible for her actions. So uh, this step gets us in touch with who we really are. You know, it's not fun to look at. I did not fear this step at all. I wanted to get all this stuff out of the way. What I was told that an inventory did is that, like our body is like a vessel and it is full of garbage. And that garbage is called by, caused by the disease of alcoholism. And so what we have to do is get out pencil and paper and write down our inventory and get rid of all of this garbage so we can start putting the new stuff of this program in. And so it's very hard to move on with trying to work these steps and grow and progress in this program without uh, getting all that garbage out of us. Once you do an inventory, it's time to move on. The past is in the past. And that's what this is. It's like businesses take inventory of their stock, you know, how much they have of this and how much they have of that. Well, that's what we're going to do with us. We're going to take an inventory of what we've got and who we are. Step four was a tool for bringing to light the true source of our problems. As we dug deeper to discover just how our own shortcomings had frustrated us, we begin to see what needed to be changed in us and not anybody else. So for the first time, uh, we're going to look at us. There's a uh, statement in the AA 12 and 12 that talks about blame. And I really liked it. I was reading earlier this evening, going over this, so I could do it, and I fell asleep, and I forgot what page it was on. Uh, um, it talks about the blame game. And for the first, here it is. Where other people were concerned, we had to drop the word blame from our speech and thought. Because we got to look at ourselves. Because nobody else is responsible for us. Nobody else is responsible for our feelings. I did not understand that because my husband's the alcoholic in my life. I did not drink, and it was his alcoholism. But what I got to find out, there are no victims in this program. There are only volunteers. Nobody held a gun to my head and said, you got to marry him. I was attracted to his personality. I liked the excitement, and I hung in. And uh, doing that, it's a progressive disease, so I started getting sicker right along with the alcoholic. I had to look at my part. And the way I like to look at this, um, I did an inventory when I was new. I took the blueprint for progress, and it asked questions in there. Did, how long has it been since you've gone to the dentist and stuff like that? 
Well, me going to a dentist didn't make diddly poop about what kind of day I had in my house. And uh, then there were questions they asked. I'd say yes. Some of them I'd say no. And do you do this? And I'd say 40% of the time or 60% of the time. And I took it to my sponsor. She said, that's not an inventory. And she got me in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And it starts on page 63 in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And it talks about, Next we launched out on a course of vigorous action, the first step of which is a personal house cleaning, which many of us had never attempted. Though our decision was a vital and crucial step, step three, it could have little permanent effect unless at once followed by a strenuous effort to face and be rid of the things in ourselves which have been blocking us. If you feel like you're blocked in this program or you're not moving forward, maybe you need to get pencil to the paper. Um, I had a gal ask me one time, can I do this on my computer? And I said no. And the reason I said no is because I was told in the very beginning that... Uh, there's a relationship in this pencil and my fingers with me and God in this pencil. And if I put this pen in my hand and I ask God to help me, the words that God wants me to see will come out in the end of this pen. I don't think it works in typewriter keys. In fact, when I do typing on the computer, I get very creative. And... Uh, so I don't think that works. It's a pencil and paper program. The magic is in the pencil and the paper. Resentment is the number one offender. It destroys more, al more alcoholics than anything else, and I think it does that to us also. From it stem all forms of spiritual disease, for we have been not only mentally and physically ill, we have been spiritually sick. When the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and phys physically. So that's why step three is before step four. In dealing with resentments, we set them on paper. Okay? We listed people, institution, or principles with whom we were angry. Okay, now everybody, they were passed out the inventory forms that I use with people that I was given and that I use with people that we sponsor. And on the resentment list, there's four columns. The first column is the resentment. The second column is the cause. The third column, it affects my self-esteem, security, ambitions, personal or sex relations, fear. And when I ask people, when they're, they ask me for help with their inventory, I said, don't just put down self-esteem. Write down how it affects your self-esteem. Write down how it affects your security. And it doesn't have to be big, long paragraphs. And I did, I was told to do all those three columns on every resentment I had. And then when I was done with those resentments, then I did the fourth column. My mistakes. I call you, I'll call that, um, the I gotcha column. <laughs> that was so, so hard for me. And uh, when I got to that point, that's when I called my sponsor and I said, I can't see me. And uh, she said, get down on your knees and ask God to put the words in the pencil that you need to see. And I did, and it was like a video going in front of me. It was an awesome experience for me. 
So I put a few resentments on the board that I had on my inventory, and then I added one at the bottom that I've been hearing about a lot. Thank God nobody that I sponsor put that resentment of sponsor on there. I'm sure some of them like to. And they have the freedom to do so, but usually my sponsors come up and say, i got a resentment toward you. Uh, and I say, great, it's better to be a giver than a receiver. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, when I did my inventory, <coughs> excuse me, my very first resentment was Keith. The cause was the violence. It affected my self-esteem. It made me feel like a nobody, like I didn't count. affected my security. What's that say? Oh, I won't live that long anyway, or else I'll leave. You know, so there's no security there at all. I was always leaving. Keith and I was always divorcing each other. We took, we took turns. One weekend I'd leave, the next weekend he'd leave. And then I'd call him. This is how sick I was. He left one time and he was leaving for good. And he was gone four days, or maybe three days. And I called him at work. And I said, I need to talk to you. All right. I said, I don't have anybody to talk to. Of course I was crying. I said, I don't have anybody to talk to. You're my very best friend and I don't have anybody to talk to. He said, all right, Sue, I'll be home tonight. That's how sick we were with each other. Yeah. The reason he was my very best friend is because I had no others. <laughs> People would run us out of their house and everything because we get fights at their house. We'd run them out of our house. I threw my vacuum sweeper at one of our friends one time because he took Keith's side. So uh, he wasn't welcome back. And people walked in. Anytime anybody walked in our house and we were having one of those fights, they ended up in the middle of it and we would both turn on them. We did that to my mother one time. It was horrible. Uh, ambitions. What does that say, Connie? Yeah. Ambitions. You ever get here? Why should I try anything? It doesn't work anyway. Same old stuff. And when I got here, I found out that's the definition of sanity, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. So my ambitions were all out the window. In fact, I was going down, down, down. Personal or sex relations? Well, if we had a fight, sex was out of the question. It was punishment time. If he was a good boy, we would have it. But he had to earn it. And then... Uh, Yeah, and I didn't have any friends anyway, so what relationships did I have to worry about? Um, what's going to happen to Simone? That was my biggest fear. You know, what was going to happen to her, our daughter? And uh, my next resentment was God. He had abandoned me. The third column made me feel like a nobody, like I didn't count. Why try? Same results. And he wasn't fixing me. And then, because uh, I put a current one on there, this is not mine, but this is what I've heard from people in the last couple of months. 
that uh, people write, and they always put their sponsor on the resentment list when they're doing 10 steps. Sponsor. Runs my life. Yells at me. Somebody said, hangs up on me. I thought, good for her. <laughs> Affects my self-esteem. She won't, what's that say? She doesn't care. Oh, my God. The Al-Anon salute. She doesn't care. If she doesn't care, she wouldn't answer that phone in the first place. And bottom line, when I help you, I'm the one that gets the most help, so I want you calling me. It's very selfish. Very selfish motives, 12-step work. But it's the only thing that gets me out of me, and it's the only thing that makes me better, because when I'm helping you with your character defects, I have to listen about mine, because I have the same ones you have. Uh, security, can't do anything right. Uh, ambitions, forget it. I'll get another one, or I'll leave the program. I'm out of here. How many people say, I wanted to run? Like Tuesday night, I said, if you're going to run out of here, would you please send me a letter when you get there? Because there is nothing but pain and misery waiting out there. We will refund your pain, guaranteed. Because this is where the solutions are. I've tried everything else. Nothing else has worked for me but this program. So now that I've gotten all of these down, and think about, I want to say something about sponsorship is that when you're writing down that uh, third column and how it affects you and you think, well, I'll get rid of her and I'll get a new sponsor, there's going to be a period of euphoria and fear with a new sponsor. Reason being the euphoria is I'm a new kid again. You know, I'm brand new. She's interested in me and she's going to start all over with me, you know. And... Uh, you know, and the fear is, is that, well, now i got to start building a relationship with somebody else. So there's a lot of drawbacks to that instead of working that out with your sponsor. I've been taught in this program, if someone I sponsor has a resentment on me, I invite them to write on it because I listen to my critics. But before we finish, before you leave my house or we get off the phone, you're going to look at the fourth column and see what part you played. And I'll definitely hear what you say about me. And uh, I'll run it by my sponsor. If it's valid, I'll work on it. Sometimes I know it's right. At, uh, but the key is, is looking at ourselves. People will try to blame their sponsors for the way they feel. A sponsor, the alcoholic, nobody in your life can make you feel any way unless you give them the power to do so. The only time an alcoholic or a sponsor or anybody, I used to say all the time, he makes me feel bad. He makes me mad. And my sponsor would say, then don't give him that kind of power. So when I get into those resentments, I'm giving people power over my life. So uh, resentments, uh, I've heard over and over again. It's like me drinking poison hoping you're going to die. They manifest themselves. And they're over piddly things. Most of them are over piddly things. 
And if we let them build up, it becomes, there's a page in the One Day at a Time book that talks about making mountains out of molehills. Now, and the thing that I have to remember about my sponsor and the thing that you need to remember about your sponsor is that every sponsor sitting in this room is another human being that's in this program because they are sick too. If you put your sponsor on a pedestal and think she's well, shame on you. You're going to be disappointed. Same way with the alcoholic. If you think that uh, he's going to be okay this time, or he does this and he'll never do that, you're setting yourself up for disappointments. Because alcoholism is a progressive disease. When I stopped having the expectations, all of those disappointments went away. When I started accepting myself for who I was, and this is how I got there. Column four. And this is the biggie. And when I looked at column four and I asked God to put the words in the pencil that I needed to see, it was like a video going across in front of me. And I could see me standing in Keith's face shaking my finger. I could hear him saying, Sue, get out of my face. I saw myself take one step closer. And he said, if you take another step closer, I'll hit you. And I took one step closer and he hit me. And I went, oh, my God, it was me. So I forced it. I forced it. And then I remembered one time he had me on the bed choking me. I always wanted to be number one in that man's life. And I remember laying there thinking I was going to die. And I remember looking at him, and I knew he wasn't thinking about anything but me. He was wanting to kill me. He wasn't thinking about booze or nothing but me. I was number one in his life. And from then on, that motivated me to cause those fights. Because when I could get him that mad, he wasn't thinking about nothing but me. I was number one. That's pretty sick. <coughs> okay. What's that say? Yeah, we all have that cry, if he won't drink, I'll be okay. Where was I selfish? That's where I was selfish. I didn't want to change. It was him. But like I said, I got to see that I'm the one that started all those fights. I was right in his face all the time. I got right in his face. I was dishonest because I blamed it on him and I was causing the problem the whole time. When I got through with my inventory, I realized that I probably caused at least 85 or 90 percent of the violence in our home. Wasn't a pretty thing to look at. But what it did is it gave me hope when I saw that. Even though I was devastated at what a terrible person I was, it gave me hope because my sponsor kept saying, God, love me, doesn't make junk, and if you keep working these steps, you will get better. Self-seeking. What does that say? Oh, yeah. If I can just fix him, if I can just fix you, I'll be okay. When I did my inventory and I had Simone's name on there, uh, it was like she didn't like dressing, putting on, wearing the clothes that I wanted her to wear. Uh, 
she didn't she didn't like keeping her bedroom clean. Uh, she didn't like doing dishes. She basically didn't like doing anything because I was nagging her all the time. And uh, she liked school because that's where she could escape from me. But when I looked at the fourth column of why should she dress the way I wanted her to, and it came out in my inventory with Keith too, because he had long hair and a beard, it's like if people look at them and they look like an urchin and Keith looks like a bum, what are they going to think about me? All of that was self-seeking motives. They are not a reflection on me. They are their own person. And, uh, you know, there's many times Keith wears all kinds of camouflage pants with Hawaiian shirts, and I tell him he looks cute. You know. <laughs> Today he had on a navy blue and white striped T-shirt from Italy, and he was a gondola man. And uh, and he looked cute. He had it on with sweats. <laughs> I said, you look so cute and you wear that shirt. And uh, he said, well, I'm going to go get my gondola and go to work. <laughs> and today we laugh about that. Uh, those are not big deals, but those are things that we fought over in our house. Terrible, terrible fights that... Uh, they don't mean that much today. They're not that important today. Because I don't like feeling bad anymore. Was I frightened? I couldn't find out in any of these circumstances where I was frightened. I had no fear. So that takes us to the next page of this inventory. And it tells us that we can read... Uh, tells us in the big book that fear is an evil and corroding thread. The fabric of our existence was shot through it. It set in motion trains of circumstances which brought us misfortune we felt we didn't deserve. But did not we ourselves set the ball rolling? And so that's what we have to look at in our fears. And when I did this fearless, I, I just, my biggest fear is I put on there, I had none, and I was the most angry person I've ever known in my life, very physically violent person, and uh, in reading the big book, it says that anger is a product of fear, and I did not understand that because I had no fears. I wasn't afraid to do anything. I'd go in bars first and check them out and see if they were okay, and if I went in there and and I came out okay, then we could go in there as a couple. We did that in honky-tonks all the time because it was a big deal to fight in honky-tonks. And so I wasn't afraid. You know, in those kind of places you flirted with my men, I threw you through a plate glass window. I had no fears. So I looked at this and I told my sponsor, and she said, just starting, right, some fears are good. Just start putting fears on there. So the first one I put down was snakes. Okay. Why do I have them? Because they're crappy. <laughs> they give me the willies. I hate snakes. I can't even watch them in a movie or nothing. Solution? Stay away from places where snakes are. You know? 
in uh, mice, same thing. I'm not scared of bugs and that kind of stuff. I hate to be around women that go, hoo, hoo, there's a bug. Those are the kind of women I used to like to slap around. <laughs> and, uh, but I really needed to look at that because if the big book's true that anger is a result of fear, and I'm as violent as I am, there's got to be some fears there. And this was a very spiritual experience for me. I started thinking, you know, what I'm not afraid of nothing. And I remembered one time when uh, my parents, uh, we lived in the Texas Panhandle in a very small town. And at night, all of the stars would come out and you could see all of them. There wasn't the lights like there is here in uh, Southern California. And so uh, after dinner every night, my mother would ask my sister, who's four years older than me, if she would take out the trash. And uh, Jamie would say, no, I'm afraid to go out there. It's dark. I'm afraid of the dark. And my mother would say, okay. I mean, my sister didn't have a problem saying, I'm afraid of the dark. So my mother would say, okay, then Sue will do it. And i go, yeah, I'll do it. I ain't afraid of nothing. And uh, so I'd go out there, and they'd, uh, clo- I'd close the door. And... Uh, our trash can was out back in the alley. It's probably is here at the front of the building. And I'd step off that porch and I would run like a son of a gun out there at that trash can because it's pitch black out there. And I'd dump the trash and I'd run like a son of a gun back up on our back porch. And I'd stand there and pant to catch my breath so they wouldn't know I'd run. And then I'd calm down and uh, I'd get my breath and I'd walk in the house really cool. And Mom would say, see, there's nothing out there. Sue's not afraid. There's nothing out there. And I'd go, that's right. You're a wuss. Yeah. And so when I was doing this, I put, I wrote down, afraid of the dark. Why do I have them? And I said, God, please help me. Why do I have fear of the dark? What was out there in that alley that I was afraid of? And I went, I don't know. And I went, by God, that's it. That's it. I don't know. I am afraid of the unknown. And I changed my fear to fear of the unknown. That's why I was so mean and crazy, because I tried to control the disease of alcoholism in my house because I was afraid of what was going to happen if I didn't. I had no faith in a God. What's the solution? Faith in a power greater than myself. Have faith in God. God knows everything. So today I can have faith in the unknown because I have a God in my life. And so we can put our fears down there, the rest of our fears. Fear, Keith leaves. Why do I have them? Financial insecurities. The solution, I work, I have a job. I'll take care of myself. I do not, what I got to find out in this fear list when I wrote about that is that Keith is a want in my life and he's not a need. I heard the words, God will take care of all of our needs. I need food, I need water, 
I need clothing, I need a roof over my head, and if I work at a job, I will have all of that and I'll have just enough, and I can provide for Simone. And uh, I don't need a Cadillac, I don't need a Mercedes, a little Mazda's fine. You know, it's whatever is in my financial budget to take care of me and my daughter is what will be. And it's no big deals. Material things will not fix me. It's what I got to see. There is no material gain prior to spiritual growth. It's what I got to find out in this program. If I have material gain before spiritual growth, material things are my higher power. So God takes care of all of my needs and not my wants. And as long as I work a program and I become a loving wife and caring wife, I will have Keith in my life as long as he wants to be there. And today, so far, for the last 28 and a half years, he's wanted to be there. And I've wanted him to be there. And I've wanted to be part of his life. But it's a want. It's not a need. So if he anything ever happens to him, I will be okay. If anything ever happens to Simone, I will be okay. I won't. I won't like it. But I can't do anything about those kind of things. It's like last weekend, my uh, friend Barbara's husband died of a real quick of a heart attack at 61 years old. She is doing so well with that. She went back to work today. It was her first day back to work, and she went back to work today, Friday, instead of Monday, because she said, uh, it's Friday, it's the last day of the week. I'll let people be weird and get all their questions and stuff out of the way. So when I go back to work on Monday, then I can start work, and it'll be a normal day. And she called me this afternoon, and she said, I'm calling you now because I used to call Dennis when I got off work, and I want to call you now. She knows how to work a program, and she's okay, and she's taking care of herself, and she's doing the things to make her comfortable with that loss. She's filling that hole with her program, and that's what we have to do when we don't get our way and get these things. Okay, the next page of this inventory. <coughs> oh, my gosh. Sex problems list. And you can read from the last paragraph, page 68, through the third paragraph of page 70 and follow those suggestions. That's out of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. It says, in this way we tried to shape a sane and sound ideal for our future, future sex life. We ask God. The right answer will come if we want it. What I got to see in this inventory, the first column is a review of my own conduct over the past. The second column is whom did I hurt. The third column is what should I have done instead. And the fourth column is the solution. Where have I been selfish, dishonest, inconsiderate? How did I unjustifiably arouse jealousy, suspicion, and bitterness? Boy, I did all of the above, all of the above. And uh, I used uh, sex in our house as a reward and punishment. I was very selfish in that area because uh, sex had gotten real ugly at, at our house. Um, 
with the progression of the disease of alcoholism. And uh, I was very selfish about not wanting to participate anymore. Besides, I did not like the smell of a stinking drunk, and who does? And, uh, and there's times when Keith would go crazy, and I'd take him by the hand and walk him down the hall of the bedroom because I knew that's the only thing that was going to calm him down. Peace at any price. I sold my soul. We think only the ladies in Nevada sell out. And they call them prostitutes. We do that here, too. Inconsiderate. I didn't care about what he thought when he was like that. I even put him down in those areas. When he'd drink or use too much, I would make uh, derogatory comments to him about not being a man. How did I rouse jealousy? All the time. It's very easy if there's more than one man in the room. Uh, It's very easy to talk about another man. It's very easy to talk about the men that I worked with. It's very easy to talk about the man at the catering truck, how he thinks I'm so cute. And uh, did all of that to arouse jealousy and suspicion. Uh, not go home after work, fiddle around, go shopping, tell him I'll be right home, and go shopping and pick something up and that so he can say when I get home, where have you been? Because I say that to him every time he walks in the door, and I want to hear him say it to me. And I want him to think that I've been doing what he's been doing. Payback. Revenge. All of those ugly things. Bitterness, you bet I was bitter. Yeah, I love revenge. Boy, I'm glad I'm not that way anymore. I can't afford it. It it, uh, rested my soul. Whom did I hurt? We must be willing to make amends where we have done harm, provided... We do not bring about still more harm in doing so. Who did I hurt? Most of all, I hurt myself. I am the one that suffered from all those actions. I am the one that became that ugly person from all those actions. Did it affect Keith? You bet it did. And it affected our marriage because he couldn't trust me anymore and I couldn't trust him. In my relationship with Simone, I was very selfish, dishonest, and inconsiderate. Do this, do that, do this, do that. I was the tyrant around the house. How did I arouse jealousy with her? You know, uh, Peggy down the street. She's a good little girl. Why don't you act like her? Did it with my daughter as well as my husband. Now, she loves her mother. Why don't you love your mother? Why don't you treat me the way she treats her mother? Why don't you do things for me like she does her mother? Blah, 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 blah. So I had to put those names down in that column, and uh, you know I had uh, I had uh, to put my mother down on here because uh, after my father had passed away and my mother started dating, I hated her, and uh, I basically started looking for love in all the wrong places, and I got pregnant, and back then. You did not get uh, pregnant out of wedlock, and I was shipped off to an unwed mother's home. And and I was very selfish with that. I, I remember when my mother asked me, what were you thinking, 
didn't you think about anything that I'd ever taught you? I said, I wasn't thinking about you at the time, Mom. I wanted attention. I wanted to feel loved because my dad had died, my mom was partying, and I was a teenager, supposed to be babysitting for my little brother. And I wanted to be a teenager, I wanted to date, and I needed the love and attention that I missed from my dad, and so I looked for it in the wrong places and ended up in trouble. And I gave that baby up for adoption. Why? Because I was selfish. I did not want to be responsible at that age. I did not want to be a parent. And uh, today as I look back at that, that was the solution for me. I wasn't capable of that age of being a good parent and being responsible. The best thing I could have done for that child is give it to a, a set of parents that was willing to love it and take care of it. So I had to put that person down in there. What should have I done instead? The third column. We ask God to mold our ideals and help use life up to them. What does that mean? We help. We us. Okay, typo. We ask God to mold our ideals and help us live up to them. Okay, so one more time, who do I want to be? I want to be a loving wife. I want to be a loving mother. I want to be a loving daughter. You know, I want to be a good employee because I had roused suspicion and, and jealousy and bitterness at work. We remember, see, what you got to remember is this sex list problems is not just about having sex. It's about relationships with the opposite sex or with anybody. And uh, is I remember doing a uh, fifth step with a girl one time. She found all of her character defects right here. She never talked about guys at all. She found all of her character defects. This isn't about how many or who you do. This is about the first column looking at me, what kind of person I am. Second column is being honest about who I hurt. And I basically was when I hurt and I had... Keith and Simone and family and all kinds of stuff on there. My mother, you know, because I, I'm sure that was painful for her at the time. I've made amends for that, but I had to go into that. <coughs> had that child on there. <coughs> we remembered that our sex powers were God-given and therefore good, neither to be deprived and loathed. What I, what I had to learn in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it talks about a salt and pepper diet. And what I believe is that there isn't anything wrong with what you do in your own bedroom if both partners are in agreement. If you like handcuffs and whips, go for it. You know, uh, it depends on who's in that bedroom what you're willing to do and what they're willing to do. If you're both in agreement, fine. Nobody judges you for that. It's nobody's business but yours. Yeah. But it's what you wrote down on here of why you do those things. What are your motives? You know. But you have. we all have the right to choose the kind of uh, sex partner and sex life we want. The thing that is wrong with that, if we get this program, if we become obsessed with it, to use that space of time 
is a fix. Or use that person as a fix. And that happens a lot. Okay, we ask God in meditation. We ask God what we should do about each specific matter. Well, a lot of mine was that I had to get honest. I had to learn how to be giving. I had to learn how to be considerate to others. And uh, I had to basically start being a nice person, which wasn't easy all the time. What I found out, when I got here, my sponsor said, for you to hit anybody anymore is no different than an alcoholic taking a drink. And I haven't hit anybody since I got to this program on May the 11th, 1976. Because if I hit anybody, that would be like me drinking. And uh, so I had to quit doing those kind of things. What I've learned along the way is that there's a lot of people that need it, but it's not my job anymore. I'm getting weller now. And... uh, Today I don't, I I used to be, oh my gosh, I would just uh, go crazy on people. I went crazy on a lady one time at Vons because uh, she was telling me I was polluting the air by smoking. And I just stood there on the concrete and I could not move because I knew if I moved, I would go jerk her car door open and pull her out of the car and beat the hell out of her. And I knew that day I could not hit anybody. I looked, told her what I thought, but I didn't, I didn't hit her. And I didn't move from where I was at. And that was progress for me. Uh, God alone can judge our sex situation. So like I said, it's a salt and pepper diet in uh, what you do in the bedroom with your partners between you and them and God. What I did to start working... My sex relationship in the bedroom is because uh, I'd been very selfish too. Been, I'd been a taker in the bedroom, and I had to start saying, "God, please let this be my gift to my men." After we got in the program, and when I started saying that, I started enjoying it. You know, it wasn't an ugly thing, and I overcame all of the. Uh, ugliness that had been in there after I did my writing. But uh, I would say, God, let me this be my gift to my men. Resentment, fear, and harm to others gets us drunk or sicker. You know, the difference between alcoholics and alanons is that we get stinking thinking, but you can't smell it. We only can see it in our actions. And when we do this inventory, we need to look at our assets, too. You know, uh, when I looked at my competitiveness, when I did resentments toward people that I worked with and looked at my competitiveness, what I realized, my sponsor pointed it out to me, is that I'm a leader. And so I had to put that into uh, the area of being an example to others instead of competing with others. And it was amazing how I got promotions after that. Competition's very sick. Assets or within ourselves cause God, cause God dwells within. We have assets within ourselves because God dwells within us.
This kind of inventory, getting rid of bad, only leaves the good. They are there. They are our assets. I'm just reading things that I've written down here for my own personal thing. Take the steps to get well. We don't wait until we get well to take the steps. (laughs) When you get here, you have information right here for all the rest of the steps. So this fourth step inventory, you are going to find everything you need in this fourth step inventory. After when you do your fifth step, your sponsor is going to direct you on how to do your sixth step, your seventh step. It's going to tell you how to do your eighth step. And uh, you and your sponsor will probably discuss how to do your ninth step. And then when you do your tenth step, it's copied after this four-column inventory. When it says continue to take personal inventory when we were wrong, promptly admit it. If you don't see it, you take it right back through the four columns just like we did here. So this step is setting a foundation for the rest of our steps for the rest of our lives that works to get rid of anything we can't deal with. These steps work in every area of our life. And this is the first action step that we take of the 12 steps. And it takes us to a goal to get better within ourselves. This is a beginning of getting well. The first personality change as we work the steps. When I got through doing my fourth step inventory, I felt good. I felt relieved. Even though I didn't like what I saw, which I really didn't. I was very like, oh my God. This is me. I was not the person I thought I was. I thought I had been sweet, lying, loving, kind, assertive, all that kind of stuff. And uh, I got to find out all the ugly stuff. Uh, and my sponsor helped, like I said, turn some of those uh, to find the morals in there, the values that I've been taught as, as a child. I still had them. Learn to say yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, and the courtesies to others. You know, wait till somebody else is through talking before I start talking. You know, I was a bad Budinsky uh, before I got here. Wouldn't let you finish a sentence because I already knew what you was going to say, and it was wasting our time. So, uh, so I felt good when I got through with this step. The The step I feared the most was the fifth step. That's the step of all the steps I feared the most. You know why? Because I knew, and God knew, and he ain't going to tell anybody. But when I tell my sponsor, the jig's up, i got to change. And I was so scared of being judged and condemned. And what we have to realize is that when we do this inventory, it talks about in the AA and the Al-Anon 12 and 12 and in the AA Big Book, we hold back nothing. It says that over and over and over again. And if you have a big dark secret that you're so ashamed of, I suggest you do it first and get it over with. Because there are only so many things that a human being can do, think, or try. And everybody's done them. Everybody's thought them. There isn't anything you 
can't put in your inventory that everybody hasn't thought about or tried to do themselves. There's only so many things that a human being is capable of doing, and I've heard some weird stuff. And uh, it's like you sit there. Uh, you try to not laugh. You try to not cry. But most of all, you try, when you're receiving a fifth step, you try to not go to sleep. So that kind of tells you how important your stuff is to your sponsor. What I'm saying is that there are no big deals in this program. It's the disease of alcoholism. We do not judge the person. So if you're getting ready to do your inventory, do not be afraid to put everything down. And it talks about more will be revealed. If you do forget to put something down and it comes up after you've done your fifth step with your sponsor, do not be afraid. I have never seen anybody that's done a fourth step and taken it to their sponsor that they haven't made a tremendous bonding relationship after that fifth step. So do not be afraid of this. This is good. This is good. This is the beginning I'm getting rid of the old and getting on with the new. Do not procrastinate. I did my inventory in three days. It doesn't matter if you have three pages or a hundred pages, as long as you get the facts down. And you have the four columns on each one of them. It doesn't matter. If you have three pages, your sponsor is probably going to tell you you need to do more writing. But it's in the writing that you get rid of the pain. By the time you get to the fifth step, which we'll talk about next week, uh, most of the pain's gone. Mine all came out when I did my writing. It's like, oh, my God. And uh, I would write on it. I'd get up early in the morning, write on it before I went to work. I'd take it with me. I'd write on my lunch hour. And then uh, I would write when I got off work, and I'd write after a meeting before I went to bed. I wanted to get it done and out of the way. Anybody that hangs on to a four-step and takes two or three months to do a four-step loves misery. You're only punishing yourself. Get it done, get it over, and get it out of the way, and you will feel so much better. The four-step is a miracle to look at ourselves. And don't ever forget, God puts the words in the pencil that you need to see. Thank you very much.